This is The Guardian. Wir präsentieren die neue Word-Uhr, Teil der Diesel Metamorph-Kollektion. Konzipiert mit Virtual Reality Technologie, um ein einzigartig organisches und futuristisches Erscheinungsbild zu schaffen. Mit einem Armbanddesign inspiriert von Reptilienwirbeln, einschließlich eines Gehäuses aus schwarzem Edelstahl. Zusätzlich können Sie exklusive NFTs für Ihre Sammlung freischalten, die Ihnen den Zugang zu einer virtuellen Welt ermöglichen. Besuchen Sie de.diesel.com, um die Metamorph-Kollektion zu entdecken. Hello and welcome to the Guardian Football Weekly, here to give the people what they want, an emotional Ellis James voice note and a trip to Ewan Murray's Jazz Bar. Wales have hope, a 2-1 win over Croatia, two lovely Harry Wilson goals, a tense last 15 and qualification is in their hands in what will be some turnaround for Robert Page. Are the Croatians? No, don't say it. Meanwhile, Scotland booked their place without kicking a ball. That's not how Scotland qualified for things. They did kick a ball in Spain on Thursday. Scott McTominay kicked it really hard. It didn't count, but it doesn't matter. England have Italy on Tuesday. They warmed up by playing a reserve team against a spirited and impressive Australia. Another what did we learn chat there? Not much really, but we'll pick through it nonetheless. And then there's Gary Neville's non-negotiables for the new Manchester United owner as Qatar decide it's not for them. While Leonardo Minucci is big in South Dakota, Michael Morrison, the slow-mo Messi, your questions. And that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. On the panel today, Filippo Clare, bonjour, ça va? Uh, if, uh, yeah, if we don't mention the rugby, Sava, yes. Ah, oh, I'm really sorry. Yes, uh, so I'm, am I. I won't mention it. I won't mention it. Um, uh, Lucy Ward, hello. Hi, Max. And hello, Johnny Lou. Bonjour, bonjour, ça va. Ah, oh, you're in Paris uh, for what we're not allowed to talk about, I presume. David says, no questions, uh, but a request for an impassioned and emotional Ellis James voice note, please. What a night for Rob Page and Wales. Hugh says, no questions. I'm looking forward to a classic Ellis James Voice note, Phil says, how sober will Ellis's 30-minute voice note be? And how many times will he tell Max he loves him? Here is three and a half minutes of Ellis James, two octaves lower than he normally is. Well, 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 Max. Wales 2, Croatia 1. And make no mistake about it, that is right up there with Wales beating Italy 2-1 in 2002, beating Germany 1-0 in 91, beating Spain 3-0 in 85. But mainly... The one it reminds me most of was beating Belgium 1-0 in 2015, which practically sealed our qualification for 2016. Now, I don't want to um, speak out of turn because we still need to win our final two games, and that's very difficult. And as we proved in June, it is more than possible for us to lose to Armenia and Turkey. However, that's all we've wanted is to go into the final couple of games with a chance. And tonight has meant that that is now possible. And Harry Wilson was just exceptional. But also, to have done it without Aaron Ramsey, who looks so bright against Latvia and has looked so happy playing with Cardiff this season, is very significant, I think. Uh, since Joe Allen retired, there's been this enormous hole in our midfield. But Jordan James, young John James, was exceptional tonight, I thought. And the thing with playing Armenia and Turkey, now we've got Armenia away and then Turkey and Cardiff in the final game, uh, the two games we lost in June, uh, we, we've changed our shape. We've reverted back to five at the back. So our, our, our midfield is different. We now have Ethan Ampadu and Jordan James together, which seems to be working, fingers crossed. 
I mean, poor Ethan in, in the World Cup, he was having to do the job of two men on his own. But when he's got a little bit of help alongside him, we just seem to tick along far better. And it just seems to work a little bit better. I thought Harry Wilson was just exceptional. And you think, oh my God, I, that's Croatia. They're the sixth best team in the world, according to the FIFA rankings. And prior to the game, I was thinking, if Turkey hadn't been Croatia um, the other night, a point might be enough. And I was thought, I thought maybe we could get a point, but I certainly can't see us winning. You know, I thought that was out of the question. And then, you know, they're lining up, but I'm thinking to myself, Luka Modric, is he the best player I've ever seen play against us? You know, he's he's one of the greatest midfielders of the last 30 years. And I was never confident, but they didn't offer a huge amount. I thought I thought Wales certainly looked in control going into the into half time and then obviously scoring so early in the second half. And yeah, I missed the first goal because I was having a wee because I'm an absolute legend, Max, because I'm cool and that is that is what young relevant broadcasters do. But still, we go again. We go to Armenia. We do not let this slip. I hope I'm jinxed it by saying that. Do you know what? I saw my friend Phil Stead tonight who wrote the book Red Dragons, the story was football. He's a brilliant football writer. And I was talking to him about how I, I didn't wear the specs I wore, the frames I wore to the South Wales Derby because this one's lost. And I'm convinced they're unlucky. And he said, grow up, Bill. It has nothing to do with your specs. It has nothing to do with your pants. And it's nothing to do with your friends, lucky trainers. It's just, it's simply to do with what the players are doing on the pitch. And as he said that, I felt an enormous weight lift off my shoulders. Maybe he's right. Maybe it's nothing to do with my specs. Of course it's to do with my specs, Max. I'm not an idiot. Thank you, Ellis. Uh, it is, of course, all about your spectacles. Um, listen, what a great, a brilliant, brilliant performance from Wales, Lucy, and kind of unexpected, I think. Yeah, I think unexpected. I have to say um, that I don't have the means to watch any uh, international game apart from England because it's on something strange uh, in this country. Via play. Uh, yeah, I will be Barry in this pod and I'll be the Bondy <laughs> one who basically says, I have no idea what you're talking about. But yeah, I mean, I, I, Wales, it, it was all doom and gloom prior to, to yesterday, wasn't it? And um, I think he, Rob Page managed to, um, in the game earlier in the weekend or before the weekend, play a few um, debutants and you know everything was a little bit more positive but I don't think they had any sort of chance yesterday and in I think the Welsh people didn't think they had any sort of chance and then produced a fantastic performance from what I've read but haven't seen because I refuse to pay for that as well as everything else I have to pay for in this country but that's another story that's me being Barry. Thank you so much. Um has anybody seen it? I mean, this is something, <laughs> something we should have checked before well, we recorded. But he... Well, I, I, I saw some of it, at least, Max. That's perfect. <laughs> no, I, I thought that um, I, I wasn't expecting it at all, which is one of the reasons why I didn't tune in to start with. And I thought, okay, that's just a fait accompli and uh, it's going to be another disappointment. And it was not. And... Um, I have to say, I was quite surprised by the um, the pace at which they they played, and and by the fact that Croatia didn't seem to have much of a response to that pace. And of course, when you see 
what Harry Wilson did, I was absolutely gobsmacked because it's not just the goals. It's also that marvellous back heel, which I'm sure you will have uh, gasped over, which was absolutely perfect. Uh, I think that finish as well with a header, I absolutely love that. It made me think, you know, of that, that goal that Mexico scored against Argentina in the World Cup, where you have, it's like you have to kind of almost like unscrew your neck so that the ball flies off the top of it. And in a beautiful arc, it was absolutely delicious. And um, it was a bit hairy, the, the, the end of the game. But to be honest, it looked like a perfectly deserved victory and, and hope rekindled. I mean, what is in store for them, actually? Uh, uh, that's the important thing as well, uh, my, share, my dear Max, because there's still a few games to be played. Yeah, they've got to beat Armenia and Turkey have already qualified. Um, and if they do that, they'll and Croatia beat Latvia, they'll finish level on points. But because Wales have a better record against Croatia, they drew one and won one, they will go through. Uh, so it's time to, to get, it's time to go giddy then. Yeah, it's in their hands. So Aya oh. says Croatia tired at last. Ryan says, I think the Croatians are tired. Dave says, are the Croatia finally tired? Johnny, is this, should we write off the, finally write off the Croatian golden generation? Not yet, not yet. I mean, they have had a quite, um, quite a, sort of a limp qualification campaign. That they, they sort of struggled in Armenia. They, they lost to Turkey in their previous game. Obviously, they've now lost two in a row. And, um, you know, the, but this often happens. Croatia, sometimes, you know, they've looked a bit, you know, one-paced in qualifying. It's almost like they, they can't, they can't really, you know, they can't, they struggle to get themselves up for a campaign that isn't this, you know, do or die knockout um, in, in a major tournament. Um, but they have, they have Latvia, uh, who, who are useless coming up and, and then they play um, Armenia at home. So it's, it's, fairly safe to to assume they'll get, they'll get two wins out of that. So I think there's there's still a huge mountain for Wales to climb because Turkey have been really, really good in this campaign and they're, they're the top of the group. Do you have reason. Turkey as your dark horses for the Euros, Johnny? It's nice to have them back as... Turkey could well be dark yeah. horses again. I mean, I, I, there, there, there was a lot of, you know, derision about this, but they were they were good. They just, they just played really badly. But they were, I think, legitimate dark horses. But dark horses sometimes lose. Yeah. The, you know, dark horses can't always win because then they're just horses. Yes, Philippe? There, there's also, I think, about Croatia, there's, um, uh, there's the perception and, and the reality. It's because we, we still see uh, Vida, we still see uh, Luka Modric, Barisic. But when we look at the actual squad, it's actually not that old squad. We we have, because Modric is still there, we think, oh, they're all 39, 47. Are you trying something. to tell me veteran Choluka wasn't playing right back? Is that what uh, you're telling me, Billy? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. They're, they're still not all there. And, and in fact, most of that team are in, are in their 20s. So we shouldn't be surprised if they carry on, even if Luka Modric is still hanging on at uh, yeah, 38 now. Um which is quite remarkable. But so, yeah. yeah, there's a perception, there's a problem of perception but with Croatia. They have managed to renew that, that uh, remarkable team. Um, we'll do Scotland in part two because that's when you and Murray's getting out of bed because he wanted to enjoy an extra half hour of Scotland qualifying. Um, so look, England play Italy tomorrow night. We'll have a pod on Wednesday looking back at that. They'll qualify if uh, they beat Italy or if they draw with Italy and Ukraine do not beat Malta. Uh, they won the Ian Rushton derby 1-0. Lucy, this, sadly, the game you could watch was a hard watch, wasn't it, the Australia game? It's quite interesting. I actually went out for a drink on um, Friday afternoon, so it was quite an interesting watch after being out in the pub 
and came back because I'm old, I'll go out in the afternoon rather than in the evening. Oh, I totally agree. Completely agree with that plan. That's that's one of the, the perks of getting old. You go out and then you're coming back home when all the young people are going out. Um, anyway, yeah, the football. So I always think this time of year, there's far too many international breaks. You sort of get going and there's an international break. You get going again, there's an international break. So there's no surprise that between these two teams, it was a little bit flat. I think that you have to sort of play players that you want to see how they perform in that sort of environment. You know, the Ollie Watkins and Jared Bowen, I really cannot get my head around. Jordan Henderson, the good player that he is, I think that Gareth Southgate just seemed to be trying to make a point by making him captain. I think there's loyalty and, and there's loyalty. And I, I, I don't know what the point was he was trying to make or whether it was worth the point that he was trying to make. But I think that he's a little bit annoyed that people are annoyed that Henderson is involved. So I thought that he'd sort of full on twist it and, and make him captain as well. And he, he's sort of trying to phase him out in the in the World Cup. And then all of a sudden he's sort of front and centre. And I know that Gareth Southgate did say that there weren't many physically strong players on the pitch and he wanted a little bit of leadership. But I, I think there's others in there that can do that and it didn't really achieve anything other than, than obviously wind up quite a lot of people. But yeah, is that the hill that he really wants to die on? And I know that's probably not a very nice turn of phrase, but that's the one negative from it. And, I, you know, Jordan Henderson is a great player, has been a great player, but I, I'm not so sure that now he's sort of playing at the level that, that you would want to move into a Euros next year. Is he going to be playing in the Euros next year? Um, I think the positives from that, Ollie Watkins, you know, I've watched him a few times um, and I think that he's adding, I think Unai Emery is, is um, a, a madcap genius and I think that he makes players better and I think one of the things is with Watkins is making sure that he's scoring goals and um, I think that I'm, I'm pleased for him that he did that for England. I, I mean, Jordan Henderson getting booed, Johnny, was sort of the main headline of, of this game. I wonder what you made of that. Very encouraging. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I'm delighted. I'm delighted about all of that. Henderson has, you know, like Lucy says, doesn't doesn't really have a right to be in this team anymore. Uh, you know, you you can argue, and I'm sure Southgate would argue that he's a great guy to have around the squad. That he's great with the younger players. He's a fantastic trainer, uh, you know, and he and he knows the system that uh, that Southgate wants to play. You know, he, he's 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 kind of one of his generals in the um, in the dressing room. Um, but I think with a lot of um, fans, with a lot of the people who who pay their money and 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 you know devote their time to watching England. He's burnt a lot of bridges with what he's done by by moving to Saudi Arabia. And I think almost the the callous, willfully oblivious way in which he's tried to justify it. You know, it's it's quite, you know, it's quite encouraging, I, I think. I, I know, you know, we all say it, nobody likes to see a player get booed. But, you know, 30 years ago, John Barnes was getting booed for being black. And now, you know, Jordan Henderson is getting booed for for nailing his colours to the, the, the kingdom of Saudi Arabia. And, and if that's not progress, I don't know what is. I would uh, like to add one thing to that, is that um, we haven't mentioned that, but did you notice that amongst the players that Steve Clark um, has brought to the Scotland camp, one of them plays in Saudi Arabia and nobody's talking about it? I think that should, the point should be made. Jack Hendry, 
who is actually a teammate of um, Jordan Henderson. Right, that's interesting. Yes, it is interesting because it shows it also has to do with the perception and the presentation. And the reason I think that people are booing um, Jordan Henderson is because of the... Um, because it's not because he's going to Saudi Arabia. It's because he's a hypocrite. That's why. If he hadn't done that interview with The Athletic, um, if he hadn't been the, 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 the player who had become almost like a spokesman for LGBT rights um, before the World Cup in Russia and, and after that, and for Euro 2020, if he hadn't been on Twitter uh, giving his support to 2034 for World Cup in Saudi Arabia, people probably would have left him alone. It's the hypocrisy that is shocking people. But there is a real danger that one of the things which made people uh, connect with that England team as they've hardly ever connected before, uh, which was also because there, there seemed to be a bunch of genuinely nice people, good people, actually better than nice, good people, uh, who have some moral compass. And suddenly, if you start... You, you could actually manage it a little bit better. I think that purely on the sporting, maybe, and I'm just repeating what Johnny said in many ways and what Lucy said as well, so please feel free to cut me out. But there is no sporting imperative to have Jordan Henderson in that team. Mm. It seems like the imperative derives from you have to show your loyalty. Why? I don't understand that. Because if you look at the, uh, you know, it used to be a problem area midfield uh, for England. I don't, think that it genuinely is anymore. I think there are solutions, and but that Jordan Henderson is not one of those solutions. So when you actually make a stance, you take, you really take a stand for, for, for Jordan Henderson, this is where you're doing the wrong thing. There's no reason. Yeah. And that's an interesting footballing question, Lucy, isn't it, about England's midfield? Because it does seem very much like, well, Declan Rice is one of them and Jude Bellingham is the other, and we're not really sure who the other one is. I mean, I know you, are, you, you have real uh, affection for Calvin Phillips, who did look quite good when he came on, but you sort of, uh, it's still not quite sure who that would be. It could be Trent Alexander-Arnold. It could be Calvin Phillips. I don't know what you think. I think that, you know, you sort of look to the future and, and look to what the, the midfield is, is going to be like next summer. And obviously, I quite like to see just one sitter. I think that's probably repeated quite a lot of times um, around the country, fans, but you know, Declan Rice, for instance, Duke Bellingham, and then one of Foden or Madison, whoever it is, somebody who obviously is creative. Because what you can do is when you've got the likes of John Stones or Alexander-Arnold playing right back, then they can go, you know, they can do the famous invert, but it all, all adds that little bit of steel. And I think that's better. And it just means that further up the pitch that you've got a little bit more creativity. Obviously, Bellingham, you know, I, I, we talk about Bellingham a lot. He's obviously added the goals to his game which is probably the only bit that was missing from his game he's added that so that you've got that in that area you've got Declan Rice who is incredible those of you who watched Arsenal this season in terms of his recovery so you've got that little bit so you don't really need another whoever it's going to be Calvin Phillips even against better teams I would say I think we're that good at the moment in terms of the quality of our players that we can afford to have a a stones in there that it makes sure that he he covers central areas or Alexander Arnold, particularly with his passing. So we're quite stacked, but I quite like to see him play with a little bit less shackles on because I I think that the players perhaps are at a level now where maybe beyond anything we've seen before in terms of their capacity of of, of playing and of of sort of tactical nous as well. 
the FA got criticised for not lighting the arch up with the Israeli flag. Interestingly, on the last pod, I sent our love to our listeners who listen in Israel and who listen in Palestine and received criticism from some Israeli listeners saying that is not good enough and some listeners in Palestine saying the same thing. Do you sense that the FA couldn't win whatever they did? Uh, my attitude is purely based on, because I've been reading a lot of what people who are better informed than I am on the situation and have also greater perhaps um, personal involvement or engagement. And I read a an absolutely magnificent and incredibly moving column uh, by, by a friend of mine called Robert Rotifa, who is a musician and a, and a journalist. He's a, he's a Viennese Jew uh, who lives in, uh, in England these days, whose family, uh, obviously you can imagine, um, uh, was um, decimated in the Holocaust, and he's also somebody who politically is very much on the left. I would say I wouldn't say hard left, but he's he's a socialist. And he wrote a, a column, uh, which was called "The Right to Speechlessness," uh, which I thought was by far the most cogent thing that I've heard um, and I've read. Excuse me on the on the subject. And it's not about lighting up stadiums or who's right and who's wrong. It's about the fact that. The very idea that you have to take a stand, a public stand, is wrong in itself when it comes to subjects such as these, is that it's become a kind of moral imperative of the 21st century to be um, the defender of a faith or another faith, when very often you're neither, or you, may, you have feelings, you have emotions, you have understanding, but why should you have to take a stand in front of the unspeakable? And sometimes speechlessness is a proper and a brave answer. Not calling out people for what they do or don't do. Because when you do that, you're bringing the problem to yourself. You become the center of attention. You, you're actually taking the problem out of the, where it really belongs to make it a problem about yourself and other people that you know or don't know you want to attack in a public space. And in this, I think the right to speechlessness is, uh, is a perfectly valid way of <laughs> not talking perhaps could be the most um, productive thing to do. It is not by inflaming as well. It doesn't mean you don't feel anything. It doesn't mean you don't feel sympathy for some people more than for others. It doesn't mean that you're, equ you're equally horrified. It doesn't mean all that because the, the fan of emotions is so wide that, you know, but we all f fit in it, in it as humans by being horrified. It's the horror that unites us. And that's what I, I got from, from Robert's piece, is that it can be, become a moral imperative. But unfortunately, it's all about uh, externalizing uh, a feeling, uh, a conviction. Uh, and it's about show. It shouldn't be about show. It shouldn't be about us. But, you know, it's an opinion that I've held, Max, for a very long time. I don't think stadiums should be used for this type of things. I think that it is a logic as well that is extremely dangerous because why would you do it for this and not do it for that? Which is why do you do it for Ukraine, not for Israel? And why don't you do it for, for other things? And why do you force people to wear a poppy, right? It's all this thing, this theatralization of belief and conviction, which leads to more polarization, to more people pointing their finger at other people for the believing in the wrong thing or the thing they think this, they're wrong. So it can be a good thing to shut up from time to time. 
Also, I also think that a football podcast is not is not the place to no to to litigate the you know the Israel Palestine conflict. I strongly believe that. I do agree with you, Johnny. This is not why people come to listen to this. All right, that'll do for part one. We'll be back in a second. Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. Um, we're on tour. Tickets still available for London and Manchester. Uh, me, Ellis, Troy and Philippe and Barry, of course, on the 13th in London and the 15th in Manchester. Me, Barry, John Brewer, Nader Manuha at the Will Unwin Anecdote. And the Brighton show on the 22nd uh, is available live stream around the world. So wherever you are, uh, please come along. TheGuardian.com slash FWTour23. Brad says, can Scotland start boogieing now? Jim says, can we have a jazz bar special? Please welcome. You and Murray, how are you? I am slightly sluggish, Max. How are you? Yeah, did you? You had a heavy one celebrating <laughs> Scotland qualifying without kicking a ball. Just feels doesn't feel like how Scotland should qualify for tournaments. Well, that, freakishly, it's the third time that they've qualified for the Euros without kicking a ball. This has happened. This has happened twice before. Yeah, so um, it's not uncharted territory. No, stand I'm, corrected. I'm uh, I'm in Leo for the Scotland friendly. I was stuck in a Eurostar. For a while last night, because the train in front hit a cow, so um, thoughts and condolences with the cow's family. So <laughs> I was stuck in northern France for a long time. Um, got here, watched a bit of the second half of the game in Norway, um, at which point it was quite clear to me that after Spain scored, Norway weren't going to score twice, so I felt quite comfortable. And then um, myself and a few of the press guys did have a few drinks, yeah, nothing, nothing obscene or untoward but we did have a couple of celebratory drinks yes we've said it before but the job that Steve Clark has done is when the group was drawn you sort of thought okay this is tough Spain and you know Norway with Erdegaard and Haaland and they've made sort of they've made easy work of it yeah well what they have done what, what is unusual I, I don't ever recall Scotland qualifying from a group with, with two games to spare well I mean they haven't qualified from a group directly at all since 1997 <laughs> of course but but this doing it um in such a straightforward manner is is unusual. Yeah, I mean, every time I'm on here, I, I laud Steve Clark, Max, don't, and, and what a good job he's done. Scotland, they're a, they're a well-coached team, very well-coached team. They're a team who have developed together. If you look at the core of the side, which I would say is Robertson, Tierney, McGregor, McTominay, McGinn, all these guys are 40, 50, 60 caps and upwards. You know, they've evolved collectively and improved collectively. And I think what is important is They've enjoyed good times as a Scotland team and previous teams didn't have that. You know, they weren't qualifying. It was pretty miserable, I think, at times playing for Scotland. That dynamic has totally changed under under Steve Clark, and you, you can see how much the players enjoy it, and, and rightly so. Are they are they greater than the sum of their parts, or are they just good? I mean, there's like a good list of players you just gave me. Yeah, I find that quite interesting. Some, some people would, would be adamant this is the best group of players Scotland's had for a long time. I don't necessarily agree. And In fact, I think if you look closely at some of the squads who didn't qualify between 1998 and 2021, the delayed Euros, I think some of those teams were, were, were better. If you look at the individuals, I, I think it's so, so much down to do with the coaching, so much to do with the manager and how he perfectly fits in this uh, in this environment, so I think that's an interesting point. But my, I would fall on the side of the team not on paper and not on face value being way better than some of the ones that came before. How good exactly is John McGinn? <laughs> am I am I 
did I just forget or, or was I not aware that there was an absolutely super player there or is as something happened as, I mean it's with Villa as well as with Scotland I mean I, I, something changed with him or am I completely mistaken no, well, well, I think like a lot of the, the Villa players, Philippe, he, he has improved massively under Emery. I think Emery has, has brought him on to a different level. I, I get stick about John McGinn because when he was younger, I thought he lacked the technical skills to, to become a top player. And, and I infamously said this and I was completely wrong. He, he has developed incredibly. He, he's a player you love watching, right? His attitude on the pitch is fantastic. He, his energy, he plays with a smile, he plays with exuberance. He, he's great fun to watch John McGinn. And actually he, he epitomises, I think, everything that's good about this, this Scotland team. So from being a, a good Premier League player, I think Emery has, has kicked him on and I think he's, well, it looks like quite a few players in that Villa set-up have, have enjoyed the same experience. Scott McTominay, I mean, we don't really need to talk a lot about that free kick against Spain that was sort <laughs> of totally daft, wasn't it? Like, couldn't quite it's the final conclusion that it was right to be disallowed, but they just made a complete hash of doing it. I think so, um, because I'm a contrarian. I, I, I'm still unsure about the right to be disallowed. I have an issue over Jack Henry's influence there, given that where the ball was, the speed of the ball, the height of the ball. I, I've read the law and I, and I understand why, but, but I've got a problem believing that that was material in terms of what, what happened with the goal. Yeah, but it doesn't matter, does it? Now we can we can no, laugh about it. Who cares? It. Yeah, <laughs> and and what now is it? Scotland have never got out of a group before. That is the plan, right? You've got to get out of the group mm. at the Euros. Yeah, and I mean uh, Northern Ireland did it, didn't they? And, and France, Wales have done it. I, I, listen, the, I wrote this this morning. The expansion of the Euros helps here. Uh, we should point out it's not helped with Scotland qualifying. Scotland are, are top of the group and have qualified um, pretty easily off their own back, but. I think if they get a favourable group, that's exactly what they should be targeting. That's what Steve Clark will be targeting. Become the first Scottish team to, to get out of a out of a section. There's no reason why they shouldn't look at that when you look at some of the teams who have who have done that in the, the recent past. Um you can go back to bed, Ewan. Thank you so much. Thank you. Good to chat. Uh, Ewan Murray there, uh, our Scottish football correspondent. Uh, let's rattle through some other highlights. Um uh France have qualified Philippe, Killian Mbappe's Really good, isn't it? Yeah, he's not bad, is he? Yeah, it's not bad. Yeah. It's not bad. Um, yeah, the second goal in particular, my goodness, that was something a bit oh, special. Ridiculous. Oof, it? it was absolutely ridiculous, yes. Um, uh, an extraordinary thing is that France played with a right back at right back. Uh, I think that we should actually uh, mention that. Close played at uh, right back and rather well. Uh, that cross for the first goal was absolutely delicious, by the way. And uh, yeah, a job done. I mean, the... Uh, you look at the um, the way they've qualified, I think uh, scored 13, only conceded one, which was in that game against the Netherlands, absolutely cruised through the group. It would be interesting to see what kind of team actually um, Didier Deschamps and, uh, and Steve Clark put together for that friendly, because uh, it might look a bit like um, what Gary Southgate put against Australia, don't you think? I think, or oh, they will be very tired, shall we say. They will all be very tired. But they're job done and uh, job done extremely well, I have to say. But, and also playing some rather lovely football at, at times with uh, Kylian Mbappe finding um, in the, the French, with the French team, uh, perhaps the kind of environment, context and uh, peace of mind that he doesn't find with his club. He wouldn't be the first French player to whom it would happen. Mm. Uh, Alan says, what's the point of sport? 
You're either shit and get hammered at home by a team ranked 51 in the world, or you're good and you still lose in a heartbreaking fashion. Yours sincerely, Ireland. Yeah, we're not allowed to mention the rugby, of course. Uh, they lost at home to Greece 2-0. So, yeah, they are done. Belgium have secured qualification next to a 3-2 win over Austria. Portugal have a 100% record after a 3-2 win over Slovakia. Uh, the first game of the qualifying group where they conceded goals, so a bit like France. Uh, two more for Ronaldo, taking his international tally to 125 in 202 games. Anything else uh, come to anyone else's attention in all of this? Um, yeah, very much so. Um, I think I have to have my um, the, the Luxembourg uh, uh, update because... But yeah, uh, because um, Luxembourg, I wouldn't say they're on the verge of qualifying for their first ever tournament, but it is not without the realm of possibility that this is going to happen for uh, uh, Luke Holtz's team. And uh, they drew uh, with Iceland. And the next game, which is on this, which is tomorrow, if I'm not mistaken, Max, is at home to Slovakia. And if they beat Slovakia, I tell you what, Luxembourg could be on its way to Euro 2024, which is quite extraordinary, really. Can I just say, Lucy, at the start of part one, you said, I'll be Barry. And then I realised you might have done a classic Barry in part two, which is to just have a really lovely time. Yeah, do you know, I've got a bad back, and so I'm just trying to get comfortable. But yeah, I don't mind being Barry. Um, I'm sat in the dark, which, which is what he usually does in them, and then not really saying anything because I've got really two really intelligent people on the podcast with me. And it made, when I open my voice, I sound even worse than I normally do being right. a northerner. Slightly disappointed you said two and not three, but like, I know my place, Lucy, <laughs> in all of yeah, this. Yeah, sorry, Johnny. Well, uh, sorry, Johnny. <laughs> <laughs> Chris says, um, is Neil Redfern going to be the Bradford City manager? And if not, how did it get leaked in the national press that this was happening? Does anyone on the panel have any intel on Neil Redfern going to Bradford. I mean, who could I possibly turn to, oh, Lucy, on this? Well, do you know what he's been? He's done. He's gone in with his mate Steve Thompson at, at, at Oldham, who they couldn't buy a win all season. So he's gone in as this caretaker, and they are unbeaten in six, and they've given the job to somebody else. Oh. So, which is absolutely ridiculous. But I'm just going to sit back with my popcorn and and see what happens for the rest of the time. So I think because they've done so well, I think he's been linked to. To other, both of them have been linked to other jobs, so um, rightly so, because completely turned it around and, and gave a good platform for, for Mickey Mellon to come in and, at, at, at Oldham. But um, that's football, that's what happens, and um, you know, onwards and upwards. And Bradford could do worse. That'll do for part two. Part three will begin with the, the Manchester United takeover. I want to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly, so Sheikh Jassim as Fossil, du bist gemacht, um Orte zu erkunden, um auszudrücken, wer du bist. Du wurdest für dies gemacht, egal wohin du als nächstes gehst. Und Fossil wurde gemacht, um direkt bei dir zu sein. Wir stellen die Herbstkollektion vor. Hebe deinen Stil auf ein neues Niveau mit unserer durchdacht gestalteten Lennox Handtaschenkollektion, die gemacht ist, um Orte zu erkunden. Fossil, gemacht für dieses. Besuche fossil.de, um die vollständige Kollektion heute zu erkunden. Withdrawn his 100% offer for the club. Instead, the current Manchester United board are set to vote on Sir Jim Ratcliffe's bid to buy a 25% share in the club for around £1.3 billion. Gary Neville set out his list of non-negotiables, which included full redevelopment of the surrounding land to create a Manchester United world, 
an amazing fan experience. Dave says, have you seen Neville's list of non-negotiables, including the creation of Manchester United World? What rides would you put there? League form, a roller coaster where you slowly rise up until a sign appears that says Fergie retires and you plummet down. It's a nice idea. Surely there's one where you go into a small room. After 45 minutes of being at the theme park, you're led into a dressing room and then someone turns a hairdryer on just right in your face, don't they? And you have to sit there and sit there and take it. What does this what does this mean, Johnny? Anything? Well, I mean, the, the, this whole process has been has been smoke and mirrors and bluff and often, you know, quite quite blatant uh, exaggerations and untruths that have been parroted by some journalists who should know better. Um, I don't think Sheikh Jassim was completely out of the picture yet. I think we saw uh, with the Saudi bid for Newcastle that a tactical withdrawal can often be. Just that, a tactic. You know, if, if Sheikh Jassim comes in with, or, or anybody actually comes in with a bigger offer, there's there's nothing to say that the Glazers aren't going to listen to it. I mean, this 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 sale process has been so opaque. It's been so, you know, it's, it's been so poorly and shoddily run. Uh, and I think part of that is due to the fact that there clearly doesn't seem to be a lot of agreement among the Glazers themselves as to what kind of sale they want. There's a sense that, and especially with, with the Radcliffe bid, where he's taken over a portion, but he wants control of football operations, but he also he wants to uh, he wants a path to full ownership at some point, that the Glazers are still kind of trying to keep their foot in the water. They, they, you know, nobody kind of knows, nobody knows what the actual value of, of, of this football club is. Nobody knows what the value of football is. These are, you know, you know, like we said, just kind of made up numbers at the moment. They're, they're, they're entirely conceptual. So there is a an element of the current ownership that's like, well, let's just see what happens. Let's keep, you know, let's keep some skin in the game. And I think, you know, that, that that's that's the situation at the moment. Unless we get an offer that absolutely blows us out of the water. No, I was going to say, Lucy. You, I mean, you always hear oh, this filters down to the dressing room, this kind of stuff, this filters down to the players. You were at Leeds for a long time. It wasn't always wonderfully run. I think that's probably, that's probably fair, fair <laughs> to say. Did you, did you see yeah. that with the players? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it's interesting because a, a training ground is usually a, a place that's full of laughter regardless because it's a, a place full of people that um, are funny and the players usually have a lot of energy and, you know, and, it, and it's all about, you know, keeping that buoyant um, and it's a nice place to work even when it's not going so well. But however, you know, I've, I've been in a, I've been in, at least when multiple owners have made a pig's ear of, of, of what's going on and the players sense it. They sense if their manager is, when Massimo Cellino was there and sacked managers every sort of few games, the players are aware of that. So the ones not getting in think, well, I'm going to be here longer than this manager. And the ones getting in are thinking, well, you know, I, I'm not sure the way I'm going to still be in. And so it's, it is quite uncertain. And when people say it doesn't affect the players, I, I think it does. I think that the fans, obviously, it, it sort of filters from the fans into the players. Yes, players, the professional, they, they, you know, they try and get on with it. But I think that when things are uncertain, and particularly, you know, I feel a little bit for, for Manchester United fans because it's not nice when, you know, you look to your neighbours and, and they've got sort of money coming out of their ears and, you know, United of everything's going stale, isn't it? You know, the the training ground, the the you know Old Trafford, etc. And people are sort of if you stand still in football, you may as well be going backwards. And I think that's certainly what they've done. 
but I, I think you cannot escape the fact that it does have some some effect um, in the training ground on players and, and staff just just from uncertainty. I guess you wonder, Philippe, that would there come a time if this just carries on that players would decide to not go to Manchester United? I'm trying to I'm trying to think if that maybe that has happened. I'm trying to think of a high profile one where someone's gone. Do you know what that isn't for me? Because they tend to still go and then turn useless. Well, yes, <laughs> there's that. Yes, though there have been quite a few players who've been linked with moves to Manchester United who mysteriously chose other destinations in the end. So it might have all been, you know, against smokes and mirrors and, and huff and puff uh, on that. But it's not as attractive a destination as it used to be. That that's for sure. Um, they've actually, yeah, they've, they've struggled to land the targets they they wanted, and that that must be part of. Um, that has to be part of the equation, obviously. Um, I mean, it's a uh, when you, for example, because this also this way, this mismanagement, this dysfunctionality, obviously filters down uh, the hierarchy. And would, for example, the Ten Hag Jordan, Jordan Sancho situation have arisen in such a public way if the club was not already in a, in a bad place? I'm not so sure. I mean, the, the, it's uh, and the, the lack of fun is what strikes me the most when I see Manchester United players today. I think, yeah, it's there's absolutely it's a fun-free zone. Jonathan has actually. I, I thought I'd, I remembered the word you used, Jonathan, when you were talking about Arsenal at the time. Uh, when there is absolutely no sense of joy in what is happening in the group. Anhedonia. That's the one. Inability, inability to feel joy. Exactly. It was the, the original title of, um, it was Woody Allen's original title of Annie Hall. Fact fans. But it it does, it can be used for Manchester United at the moment. Um, even when they score, the joy is not joy, it's more like a kind of a release of angry energy uh, that they hadn't scored before. So, but anyway, the, the whole thing is, is just, ridiculous. And uh, as to the value of the club, if you are going by the share price, I think it's worth about, worth, uh, of course, uh, to be taken with uh, a pinch of salt here, about half of what um, Radcliffe is valuing it at uh, for his 25% uh, share. That's, uh, he values the club at £6.2 billion. Pounds. United mm-hmm. is valued at £2.63 billion. Pounds. It's almost yeah, on the stock market, the, yeah. the share is about 20, uh, 20 US dollars per share uh, at the moment. And we shouldn't forget, of course, that uh, he's, um, should Jim Radcliffe pay this 1.2, whatever it is, he would in fact have paid the um, uh, all of uh, had been spent to purchase Manchester United for the Glazers, but of which only about 15% actually came from the Blazers' pockets and all the rest came from the club itself, which is quite extraordinary. I mean, you know, that's quite a return on investment, isn't it? When people say, if you don't know what to do with your money, just invest in a football club, you lose it all. Well, not if you're a Glazer. Not if you're a Glazer. Um, now, Rangers have appointed um, another Philippe, Philippe Clomont, a Belgian who um, uh, formerly managed Monaco, replaces Michael Beale. Is he good, Philippe? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Philippe Clément. And I, 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 I might say something completely wrong, in which case you will have to cut this off from the pod. But uh, uh, he, he was particularly good uh, in, uh, in in Belgium with with Club Bruges. Uh, he was he was their manager, wasn't he? And he's the one who uh, actually gave uh, uh, gave them a, a real great success. I mean, that wonderful team with Chantal Catalera, you know, which we which we loved, and which actually that earned him. 
uh, a move to Monaco where things were not quite as great. But it was great with Club Brugge, so, so why the heck not? Um, uh, this is correct, says producer Silas. Uh, there you go. Uh, there, there were games in the EFL. Um, you, it's quite fun in League One when your game is postponed for international call-ups. There was one League Two game postponed for international call-ups. Morecambe Crawley. Morecambe had four players away on international duty, uh, including uh, Jacob Badeau playing for Granada and uh, a few under-21s as well. Uh, makes you feel like you're a big club, if you can say sorry. Internationals here. Uh, Peter says, how many seconds into the pod will you make, mention Michael Morrison's goal against Shrewsbury? Yes, Cambridge United's 35-year-old centre-back. Went very slow-mo, waltzing past everybody uh, to score. We did then concede in the 87th minute. Uh, so, slightly disappointing point at home to Shrewsbury, but a wonderful goal nonetheless. Well done, Michael. And Johnny, you wanted to talk about Leonardo Benucci being the top-selling football shirt in South Dakota. Oh, no, well, I just, I just noticed this. You know, somebody, somebody made, I don't, know if it, I don't know where the data's from, somebody made a, a graphic of the top-selling um, named football jerseys by state. Mm-hmm. And obviously, as you'd expect, Messi is there a lot, Ronaldo, Pulisic. Um, and then just this little, this, this little word, Benucci, in, in South Dakota, uh, Delhi Alley, I think, is the most is, is the most popular jersey in, in Vermont for some reason. But uh, yeah, these things are always quite fun. Yeah, I wonder if I mean it seems more surprising that Delhi Alley's big in Vermont than Leonardo Benucci's big in South Dakota. But I I don't know. Philippe, do you have intel? Well, I, I have some intel because I know where this comes from. It's actually not that recent, but it's still very funny. So we have to mention it. And uh, it, it was uh, done uh, by by a website called Soccer.com. And they they basically um, uh, got they, they tried to get figures for sh- shirt sales for the whole of, of the US, and apparently Bonucci I was told um, has a cousin who lives in South Dakota, so right. it might have to be that the family all bought a jersey with Bonucci's name on it, and therefore it became the most popular in South Dakota. That that would make sense, wouldn't it? And he also has at the time it the, the news created a story had a podcast there's a podcast called south nice. dakota loves uh, loves bonucci or something like that i think it's only one episode and i haven't listened to it so it might be something completely unrelated but i have to say that the most i think random result of that i mean delhi ali's vermont is pretty special but uh, anthony martial in hawaii is also one that caught my attention right and do we know why I have no idea. I don't think he has cousins living there or anything like that, but apparently Martial was the most popular shirt in Hawaii. Yeah. Uh, Producer Silas has um, sent me the Spotify link to South Dakota Loves Benucci. Um, it'd be weird if I read it out. Open.spotify.com uh, slash show slash 10 capital X HR 3 O E Y 5 capital V capital L D J D Two capital F capital Q D capital B N S capital L. It's not very catchy, is it? Um, but rate are. and review, rate <laughs> and review this podcast. Please share with your. Is friends. it actually code? Have you just been sharing intelligence with <laughs> a that, foreign yeah. power or something yeah, like that? Yeah. Yes, mm. oh, this is all a front, Philippe. You know, like <laughs> you, you don't know who's actually paying me for this. Um, uh, the latest episode is about Jack Grealish's Notts County shirt, apparently. So uh, uh, listen along and let, you, let us know what you think of that pod. But I'll try and listen to our ones first. Anyway, that'll do for today. Uh, thank you, Johnny. Thanks. Thanks, Lucy. Thanks. I enjoyed being buried. I think you added, you added a bit too much insight, if I'm going to be honest. Um, but thank you. Thank you, Philippe. Thank you, Max. 
Uh, Football Weekly is produced by Silas Gray. Our executive producer is Max Sanderson. We'll be back on Wednesday. This is The Guardian.